All right, let's get after it. Grab your notes. Uh, you are in week one of a four-part series called Bless This Home. Uh, super excited to get to teach this. Um, how many of you would just like, let's just start off uh, with some participation this morning. How many of you would say you would like your home blessed? Just raise a hands, uh, raise them high. Uh, some of you don't have your hands raised, so can only assume that you want yours cursed. That would be the the other option. So let's let's just, for the sake of assumption this morning, assume that we all want uh, our homes to be blessed. But when we look at families today, when we when we kind of look at the landscape of the culture that we live in and the homes and the families, in general, the first word that comes to mind is typically not the word blessed, all right? I mean, when, when, we, when we look at so many families today, rather than say, man, they're really blessed, oftentimes what we find ourselves saying is, wow, they're really struggling, right? They're, they're really hurting. Man, their marriage isn't what it could be. Right or it's not what it what they think that it should be. Uh, parenting children is a lot harder than they ever thought it was going to be. Or maybe it's a, a financial thing. Maybe financially they're just living paycheck to paycheck, and you're just like, man, it just it, it's just blessed is not the word that we typically would use. And, and admittedly, there there really are a lot of temptations. I would say today than may, maybe any other time in the in the history of the world that that really everything is accessible, right? Our, our kids, like we were we were seeing in that song, this is how I fight my battle. Like even our kids, they're they're battling all of the time. It's a, it's a constant struggle that we live in. There's challenges of of single parenthood. We have the highest single parenthood rate now than ever. That that's a challenge of, of trying to raise a family on a single income, trying to discipline alone and, and to, to teach your kids how to live and succeed in this life alone. That's hard. Uh, we are seeing more and more blended families, which, which is a blessing, obviously, but it can also be a challenge, right? Because it's it's, it's my kids and hers or my kids and his, and, and, it's, and it's dealing with that dynamic, and then it's, it's dealing with the exes and the challenges that come with that. Like, there's just all of these challenges that we're faced with. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to let the teaching of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, when he taught what is known as the Beatitudes, we're going to apply several of the Beatitudes to our home in a series that we're calling uh, Bless This Home. There's always a risk because as I find myself in the midst of leading a family, I run the risk. I am leading uh, a family who I'm, I'm, I'm leading teenagers now, uh, and I'm, I'm leading a, a nine-year-old and a wife, and I'm, I'm leading our family, but there's always this this risk of communicating that we've kind of got this figured out, right? Uh, run the risk of sounding as though I'm telling you how you're getting it wrong, and if you would just do it like us, you would be blessed. Uh, that's just simply not the case, right? I mean, in fact, both Kelly and I feel that this series is timely because we're having more and more conversations with other families, with many of you, 
that are exactly the same thing that's going on in our home. They're very familiar conversations. Our goal for the, for the next few weeks is not to share with you how great our family is, but for us to grow and, and learn together, right? To, to figure this out together and to apply scripture that, that maybe was intended on a broader scale, but really begin to focus the Beatitudes and, and, and to what it would look like if we began to, to live that out in our homes, there are some who will say, well, this series doesn't apply to me because my kids have since been grown and they're out of the house and uh, I don't have to deal with that nonsense anymore. And so, you know, it's just, it's just me and my wife or me and my husband. And, and I would just encourage you that, uh, that this is applicable to you as you have grandkids in your life, as, as you continue to function as a married couple, that all of this is, is very important, as well as you might be thinking, uh, as, as an individual who doesn't yet have a family uh, beyond your, your immediate uh, parents and stuff, but that you're young, you're single, you don't have a family yet, I would just say to you, this is the best time ever for you to learn this stuff. I, I wish I would have had a better understanding of this when I was first married, when I first started having children, and so let this just be a series that you soak in and let it be your premarital counseling, if you will. So let me show you where we're going to go here in the, in, in the next few weeks. Next week, we're going to look at a teach, the teaching of Jesus where he said, blessed, I don't know why I say blessed. It's blessed, right? I mean, blessed sounds like a better preacher, doesn't it? <laughs> blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. No, it's, it's blessed. It's blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I'm going to bet that most of our homes would not be characterized by the word pure, right? I'm telling you right now, our kids, your kids, are being bombarded and are being attacked in the context of social media and digital in this digital age. And if you don't believe that, then you're either A, naive, or B, in denial, because it's happening. And it's happening more and more, and it's becoming more and more common with our kids. And some of our kids are in the room and they're like, they're going to find out. They're going to know everything we already know. God tells us these things. But here's the thing is it's easy for us to look at our kids and say, yeah, I wish, I wish my kids were more pure in heart. But really, we're going to take a look at ourselves in the mirror and say, what are we doing that's bringing impurity into our homes? So how do we have homes full, of, full that are pure in heart? Week three, we're going to study when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. We're going to take a look at leading our families in mercy towards one another, especially those who don't have families, the widows and the orphans. And then the fourth week is, is really my favorite week. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. All right? For theirs is the kingdom of God. We're going to see that when we are a Christ-centered family, people will actually begin making fun of us. Right? They'll make fun of us for our faith. We're not going to worry when we are persecuted for being a follower of Jesus. We're actually going to worry when nobody is persecuting us because we're probably blending in pretty well. So here we go. Bless this home. What I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to 
be real transparent in this message series, as transparent as I possibly can. You know our kids, so I won't give you details of how they messed up. I'll just tell you they mess up, and you're going to have to trust me, right? It's always funny to me because I think that in some ways, uh, and I don't mean to, to somehow uh, elevate uh, mine and Kelly's leadership, but in some ways we have conversations with, with people within our church, and when we tell them how our kids have messed up or we give them examples of, of ways in which we aren't great parents, it's almost like we bring relief to people because it's like, oh, good, you're not perfect. And it's like, no, we are not perfect. Absolutely we're not perfect. Right? We make mistakes all of the time. I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like you do, but my pants are holding. Right? No, I'm just kidding. Like, like my, no, like the, that's the reality. We, the same conversations we're having with our kids, you're having with your kids. Right? I'll give you another example. My, my youngest daughter, Marley, she's nine uh, when she was younger, I mean, because here's the thing is, if, if you want to know anything about our family, just teach down the kids hall, right? If you're, if you're a Lifehouse kids teacher, you know how dysfunctional our family is because my daughter, she likes to talk a lot. And so my nine-year-old, when she was younger, there was, they were having a conversation in the classroom, and they, they were talking about... Um, they, they were talking about arguing and fighting and being angry with one another. And, and my daughter says, oh, um, my parents never yell at each other. And the teacher was like, of course they don't, right? Uh, it's the coffee family. They're, they must be perfect. And she said, no, they don't. My parents never yell at, at each other. They just yell at us, at our kids, <laughs> at us kids. And so then I was sharing that with, with, my, with my older two kids, and, and, uh, and my other daughter says, uh, that's not true. You, not only do you guys yell at us, but you also yell at each other. So it, it, it just it happens, and, and we struggle, and we're challenged by this. I'm as challenged by this, this message today as, as I hope that you will be, because challenge and conviction moves us to change. Condemnation paralyzes us and keeps us from changing. We're not perfect, but we are being perfected. So let's take a look at chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 6. For the first of the Beatitudes that we're going to study, and this is what Jesus said. He said, blessed, 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 blessed are those who what? He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because you will be what? You'll be filled. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. And yet so many, so many times we see homes today that are not filled with that which matters most. They're, we're searching and we're striving and we're busy and we're going through the day. And yet we find ourselves looking for meaning, but never finding it, never being fulfilled, never finding our homes blessed. And I wonder why that is. I, I think it's, be, that was a rhetorical question. I, it's, I think it's because we're filling our lives with things that, do, that don't matter. Right? We're not as blessed as we could be because we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for, for right living, for, for doing the right things in the way that we live to please God. So here's a question that I think all of us should ask this morning is, 
just for application, like, like just to be really, really honest with ourselves. Here, here's the question. In your home, in, in my home, in your home, what are you hungering for? In your life, with your friends, what are, what are you pursuing? What matters most in your home? Some of you with absolute integrity could say, We're, we exist, we are here to please God. That's what matters most. There'll be others of us who think this is a trick, and so we answer the, the answer that we always gave in kids' church, Jesus. Jesus is the, Jesus is the thing, and yet, yet we see something entirely different. If you were to ask your kids, what's the, what's the thing that matters most in your home, would that be their answer? So let's just make it easy because that's a little bit of a, of a general, broad thing. Let's just think about the last seven days, just this last week, right? Because we have short-term memory, so let's just talk this last seven days. What would we be known as, or what would we be characterized as pursuing in the last seven days? What were you hungering for? What, what are you striving for? I think that if, if we're really being honest with ourselves, we'd have to say things like, well, you know what, I'm just, I'm just trying to relax. I just need rest. I'm, we're going all the time. I'm busy. And honestly, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, right? We're just trying to have a good time. We, 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 kinda, we want some comfort in our life. We, we, we work really hard throughout the week so that we can play on the weekends. And we just want to have fun. We just want to unwind and do something fun, and there's nothing wrong with that, but let's just call it what it is. Some would say, well, you know, we're hungering for status, and, and status is really just an adult version of popularity, right? In, in high school, maybe in college, you strive for popularity, but in, in our adult life, we, we call it status because it, it doesn't sound as childish, but we just want status. We want, we want people to, we want good self-image. We want people to look at our lives and be jealous of it, right? To look at our family from the outside and as, they, as we walk down the steps to the, to the church and, oh, look, they're, they're perfect, right? And yet all the way from home to church, they're fighting with one another, swearing in the car, trying to decide whether they want to go to church, for some, it could just be the whim, right? And I don't know what your whim is, but it could be anything. But whatever your whim is, whatever that means to you, it could be that. The whim might be more money. The whim might be a bigger house. It might mean that your elementary kid is the smartest kid in the school, right? That, that's your whim. Maybe you've got a kid that's not in AP classes who can beat up the other kid that's the student of the month. I don't know. I don't know what your whim is necessarily. But, but if, you, if you thought that was offensive, this one, this one, in our culture, in our time, right here, this is offensive, what I'm about to say to you. And my wife's not in here, so I can say it. Sports. Maybe, maybe your whim is sports. And it's like you, your child is the champion underwater synchronized swimming polo player for 
kids four years and under, and they're on the traveling team. <laughs> like, whatever it is, right? Sports is our thing, so we're going to be the best at that. What is your whim? What are you hungering and thirsting for? If you're like most people in our culture today, if you're, if you're really, really honest, you'd say the last seven days, we're pursuing something or many things that are above God. We're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So what do we do? Right? I mean, that's the question. What do we do when we realize we've been hungering and thirsting for the wrong things? What do we do when we realize that we have an appetite for things that don't satisfy and are not the best for us? Well, we change our appetites. How many of you like pizza? Right? Let's just use that. I like pizza. You like pizza. Everybody like. Anybody not like pizza? Okay. All right. At the end of service, we're going to have prayer available for... No. My theory is that you don't like pizza because at some point in your life, you ate a gluten-free pizza, and that was it. You're done. You're out. I like pizza, right? I, I like good pizza. I don't like bad pizza. I don't like pizza pizza, if you know what I'm saying. We don't want to name names, but... I like good pizza. I like mod pizza, because if we're going to name names, it's going to be in the positive light. I like, mod's like the subway of pizza, right? You make your pizza, it goes through, it's cooked right there, it's really good. They burn it, they give you another one. I mean, it's, it's really pretty and amazing. So I love pizza. I love all kinds of toppings on pizza. I love different kinds of pizzas, except for anchovies. Whoever put anchovies on pizza obviously will burn in hell. Obviously, because that obviously is not God's will for anyone. First service, I said the word dumb. I didn't say it this service, so consider this an upgrade. In my life, we've, I've decided that I've enjoyed pizza too much, all right? That the pizza's just not great for me in this part of my life. And, and so my wife and I, we've been th threatening to go on this diet. Uh, it's called the, the keto diet. Is that what it is? Keto? It's, it's not, uh, what's the guy that was with O.J. Simpson? Kato. That was Kato. Yeah, that's different, different thing. This is, this is, keto, and, it, and apparently you go on it for a season of your life or you, for the rest of your life, and, and in this, what happens is you find out, this is what they claim, is that as you begin to eat healthier, that you change your appetite. You, you now no longer crave the things that you used to crave, and, and what happens is if, you, if you've ever fasted anything for a period of time, anything that's not good for you, when you come back to it, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. It makes you kind of sick to your stomach. It doesn't taste as good as you thought it would. Now, here's the thing. If, if, the start, if you start pursuing God and you start 
seeking God, suddenly what you're going to find out is you're, you're going to see the benefits of walking, the benefits of being led by, by the Spirit of God, being empowered by His Holy Spirit in your life. And suddenly you'll long for more of Him. And the junk food of this world, which distracts us, which wasn't good for us and didn't satisfy us, isn't going to be at the top of our cravings because we're now developing a different appetite. You're, you're beginning to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you're fulfilled and satisfied as, you, as you're knowing and, and serving and doing the will of God. Now, why doesn't this happen more in our homes? What, what, what is it that keeps us from it? Why don't we see our homes more blessed? Well, let me tell you what works and what doesn't work. And when it comes to building a home that's centered around Christ, we'll start with the things that don't work. If you're taking notes, this is in your, in your uh, insert. There are two things that don't work. The first thing is legalistic Christianity. It doesn't work. The second thing is lukewarm Christianity. That doesn't work. So legalistic Christianity, lukewarm Christianity, neither of those things ever really are beneficial. I'll give you some examples. What is legalistic Christianity? That's when we reduce Christianity in our homes to a bunch of do's and don'ts and oughts and ought nots and do this and don't do that and you should be more like this and it's do this, it's a rule and if you're a good Christian, you always get it right. And whatever you do, don't drink and don't smoke and don't chew and don't go with girls who do, right? That's the mantra that I grew up with. So I married somebody that did all, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The problem is this, and you can write this down. The problem is rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Have you ever seen that? Like, so as, as a pastor's kid, I have many friends who were pastor's kids as well. If you've ever, there's kind of this stigma around pastor's kids. The stigma is that they will rebel because their parents are so involved, so busy with the church. And, and so the, the tendency is for there to be all of these rules and all of these expectations and then, and then without the relationship, the kids rebel. Now, I was not one of those kids. Although I was not perfect, my parents weren't legalistic Christians. I didn't say it second service, but they're here first, or I mean first service, but I said it second service because they're sitting here. They weren't legalistic Christians. They still aren't. And there was relationship. There was conversation. There was explanation as to the why not and the why. So pastor's kids are notorious for that. The second thing that doesn't work is lukewarm Christianity. I, I think you probably have a good understanding of what legalistic Christianity is. I'm not sure that we understand fully what lukewarm Christianity is. See, that's when we believe in God, but we live our life as though he doesn't exist. 
See, it's, it's cultural Christianity. It's Christian in name only, but there's no real passion for the things that bring glory to God. Now, how do we know if we're a part of the lukewarm Christian home? Well, the answer is, I don't know. I don't know for you. I don't want to judge your home. I don't want to judge your faith. I don't want to judge your circumstances. All I can tell you is what happens in my own life when there's indications of lukewarm Christianity, that I'm, that I'm becoming lukewarm in our home. Okay, so I'll just give you a, a few examples of that. The first is, if I can't tell you the last time we prayed together as a family, and I'm not talking about around the table, God bless this food, thank you for it, let's eat. I'm talking about really praying, coming together with our family and believing God to, to do the miraculous, praying for someone or a friend or, or someone that we know to come to Christ, a family member. If, if I can't tell you the last time that we gathered together and prayed asking God for him to direct us, for him to do something in our life, then, then if I can't name the last time, chances are I'm allowing our family to become spiritually lukewarm. Anybody interested in knowing when the last time was? I don't know. If I never, ever say to my family, hey, today God really spoke to me about this, and I want to share it with you. Or I was, I was praying the other day, I was praying for some, someone, and, and look at what God did in their life. If I'm never doing that with my family, then it's an indicator that I'm becoming lukewarm. If, I've, if I'm never leading them out of the place that could be harmful to their faith and their relationships. Like, hey, I know we rented the movie on, 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 on the Apple TV. I know we paid money for it. But I can only handle the Lord's name in vain like, you know, 18 times in the first 12 seconds. At some point, we just have to shut it off. If, if, we, if I never say, hey, what we're watching is inappropriate, let's change the channel, then, then I'm probably becoming lukewarm. And honestly, as your children get older, it becomes more difficult. How about, hey, you know these, these friends, we love your friends, we'll continue to love your friends but there are places that they want to go and there's things that they want to do that don't line up with our values. We're going to still love them, but it may mean less time with them. If I'm, if I'm not leading my family in that way, chances are I'm lukewarm. If I never say to my family, hey, God has blessed us so much, we're going we're to devote some time outside of our context and actually do something for the glory of God, like go and serve and do something, make a difference in this world. If we're never doing that and it's all about us, for me, that's, that's becoming lukewarm. And honestly, legalism and lukewarm Christianity never, never work. Jesus said in Revelation 3, I'd, I'd rather you be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I will, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Some translations use the word spit. I could have used that, but I like the word vomit better. It's more disgusting. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So what does work? What I want to give us this morning is kind of the main thought that will direct us over the next four weeks. And at first glance, you may say, well, there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of difference between Christian family and a Christ-centered home. But as we, as we dig into it, I, I believe that you'll see a, a whole lot of difference. See, what does work is as a family, we're not just a Christian family. Instead, we're a Christ-centered home. Now, unfortunately, we live in a culture, we live in a, uh, in a community even, in a city, in a country, where you can call yourself a Christian family and that really doesn't mean very much at all. About 80% or so of our country says, yeah, we're Christians, yeah, we're, we're, we're Christians, but, but they're not Christ-centered homes. You, you can call yourself a, a duck, and you, you may be able to quack, but unless you can fly and lay an egg, you're just a crazy guy who's quacking. Right? It, the, the point is, is that there's a difference. There's a big difference between saying, oh, yeah, well, I mean, we're all Christians, right? I mean, we're, we're Christians. And then there's a difference in saying, no, no, Jesus isn't a part of our lives. Right? Jesus, Jesus, our home isn't characterized by being Christ-centered. Scripture doesn't say blessed are those who believe in Christ when it's convenient for them. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we don't, if we don't hunger and thirst for those things, we have to change our appetite. I like the way David explains it in Psalm 63.1. He says, you, God, are my God. He says, earnestly, I, I seek you. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. You see that language? It, it isn't just, hey, I want you when it's convenient for me. Hey, God, I, I kind of believe in you whenever I need you. No, it's, it's we're not just a Christian family, we're a Christ-centered home. So interpreted and translated that verse towards the family kind of sounds like this. If we were to make this edict, it's you, God, or our God. Earnestly, we seek you. We thirst for you. Our whole family longs for you. Imagine kind of the crazy things that we live for in the place of God. Oh God, my status, you are my God. I long for you in a dry and weary land. Oh, sports, sports. I pursue you with everything in my life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you'll be filled. So how do we do that? Take us from, from kind of what not to, to what do to a practical level, and I'll just say this as simply as I can. In creating a Christ-centered home, what we want to do, what I hope we all will do, is just simply help our family see God as loving, approachable, 
and involved. Very simple. We're going to help our family to see that God is lovable, that he loves you no matter how much you mess up, that he's approachable, that you can go to him for anything and everything, that he wants you to approach his throne room of grace with boldness. Have you ever asked a teenager what you as parents should do and how to lead a Christ-centered home? Anybody? Let me give you what a 17-year-old follower of Jesus said about leading a Christ-centered home. You should create an environment where your kids want to have discussions about God so it's not something they feel like they have to do, but something they want to do. That's brilliant. So rather than listen to anything I have to say this morning, here's what we should do from the mouth of a 17-year-old. Create an environment where our kids want to have conversations about God. And it's not something they have to do, but it's something they want to do. Because we're not going to just be a Christian family. We're going to have a Christ-centered home. So how do, how do we do it? You might say, I don't even know where to start. We'll just make it as simple as we can and give you three ways to, to, to allow us to hunger and thirst for God. The first thing, if you're taking notes, is we simply are going to involve God in our daily conversations. Everything that we talk about, when we, when we talk about anything, we're going to involve God in those conversations. Uh, it might start out, might sound a little bit weird. You might be driving down the road with your kids, taking them to school, and the sun rises. Not that we know what that looks like these days, but the sun rises. And instead of saying, that's awesome, saying, wow, look at what God's done. You introduce him into our everyday language. You do it in your marriage instead of saying, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what decision to make. I don't know how to handle our children. I don't know what to do. I don't know what career path to take. Instead of just wondering or maybe looking for all of these professional self-help coaches, what if we were to just invite God into the decision-making process and say, God, what do you want us to do? And so in your marriage, you're reminding yourself that you're not just a Christian home, you're a Christ-centered home. You involve God in your conversations. Kelly and I have worked hard over the years to tell our kids over and over again, look how blessed we are. Look how blessed we are. We're a part of a church that's making a difference in the world, literally in the world. We have family we have home, we have provisions, we are blessed. We take them to places, we get to do things that most kids dream about doing. You remind your children that, that they're blessed. Second thing, if you want to hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's, it's to make church non-negotiable. I'm not saying that your salvation is based upon your church attendance. I would never say that. I'm not saying it because I don't like the idea of the fact that you're not here, although I don't like the idea of the fact that you're not here. 
I'm saying it because there's something powerful that takes place when you gather together and you worship corporately. What took place a few minutes ago in the context of worship was spiritual warfare. That we are in the world all throughout the week to have the opportunity to come in and worship him. Our creator is powerful. Take an hour and a half a week to honor the creator and sustainer of the universe who who sent his son to the cross to preach the message of forgiveness and grace and say to your family, we're going to church, period. I recognize people are out of town, we got vacations, we're going, we're going. I'm not saying, I'm not being a legalistic Christian, but what I am saying is make it a priority. I used to be a youth pastor. I still am in some ways. I'm interim youth leader right now uh, while, while we're transitioning Paul Godin in uh, to be our new youth director. And um, when I was a, a, youth, a youth director, when I was a youth pastor, one of my pet peeves, and this is a little soapbox. I'm just going to stand on it for a second. Uh, one of my pet peeves was when, uh, when parents would punish their kids with church. And, and, I, and I know what you're thinking because, well, I don't know your kids, but you, you might be thinking when I say that statement that, that you would threaten if your kids don't shape up, you're going to have to go to church. That's actually not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the opposite of that, where your kids actually want to go to church, they want to come to youth group. And because they want to come to youth group, you're saying to them, you didn't get your homework done, you can't go to youth group. Don't do that. I I understand you are the parent, I don't parent your kids. But listen, our kids, our teenagers need more of Jesus in their life. They need more community with other believers. They need more life, more health. Don't withhold that because they didn't get their homework done. How about you not allow them to go to the movies? How how about you kick them off of Xbox? How how about you do all of these other things and get them into the most life-giving possible situations that they could be in? This is going to sound a little braggy, and I don't mean it to be, but but when, when Kelly and I, we... Uh, if we're going to be going on a vacation, we're planning a vacation to be out of town, our kids' first question is always, are we going to miss youth on Sunday nights? And we're like, yeah, probably. They're like, we don't want to miss. We don't, we don't want to miss youth on Sunday nights. We, won't, we like going. We, we like being a part of the worship team. We like being a part of church. And so then we've got to make rearrangements, cancel, fl- you know, like, because it's a value of theirs. I, I, I don't know how to say this any other way other than to say, listen, church, church isn't the end all, but it is a lot in your life. Number three, uh, show your family how seeking and receiving God is fun. It's fun. 
Uh, our family had the opportunity last year to go on, um, go on vacation with another church family. We we're going to be staying in the same home. This is, um, this is my paranoia. Uh, because it's like, okay, well, I'm going to be a family. We like this family. We're friends with this family. But do I have to be pastor on vacation? Do I have to, what does that look like? Is it a part of my life? Are they going to judge me? What, all these things. Anyways, you don't care about that. But what does matter is that we were in the home together with another church family. And in the evenings, as uh, things were winding down, kids were getting, they, had, they have littler kids and, and one older kid. We, we have older kids and one little kid. And, and, uh, and as, as things were winding down in the evening, their family were just kind of gathering around in the living room. And they started this process where they were going around the room and they were asking each of their kids, what's something that God's doing in your life? What's something that you want prayer for? What's something? And it was just like this fun, like popcorn-looking thing. And, and our family's kind of feeling a little uncomfortable uh, because we're not doing anything spiritual. And so we're like, hey, can, can we play this game? And... And so we kind of scoot in and, and sit down, and we're looking around, and these kids are just, you know, giving all these prayer requests and, and different things. And, and, then, and then we realize, we're like, oh, I see what's going on here. They have the pastor over. We got to look spiritual, so we're going to have this prayer time with, in front of the pat. No, actually, you could tell based upon their response, this is something that happens every single night. My wife and I were terribly convicted by this. We chalked it up by saying, well, their kids are young. Right? It's easy to do when your kids are young. Our kids are older. They're going different directions. They come home late. Like, we don't, we don't. It's not possible to do with our kids. And I just tell you that the, that the disciplines, the things that you establish when your children are, are young, when they're, when they're little, will be the thing that you establish when they're older. I'll give you another example. I, I, I heard about a family who does it like this. I was talking about the popcorn prayer. This is actually literally involving popcorn where you just you pop a big thing of popcorn, you set it in the middle of the room, and you make it fun. You make a game out of your prayer time, inviting God into your home where uh, you're saying, okay, anybody that has a prayer request has to run and grab a piece of popcorn and toss it in their mouth. And then uh, the trick is, is that while somebody is praying, you've got to sneak a piece of popcorn, which sounds super uh, irreverent, but it's actually fun. And, uh, and so you sneak a piece of popcorn while everybody else is praying. If you can do it without anybody noticing, you get a point. It's just all this kinds of stuff. It's, I, I know it sounds crazy, but here's the thing. You all are going to be doing this at home, I guarantee it. But here's the thing is invite the presence and the power of God into your family and make it fun. Not like get everybody get on your knees. Oh God. You know, like that, that's what I would be saying. I'm out. I can't. I, that's too, uh, it's boring. So I, I get it. Like, I, I mean, even now, I know that this is hard because it doesn't matter how much I say this is an area in which we struggle with this. There's still that tendency to think, well, that's, that's pretty good, Pastor Ryan. That's good for your cute little homeschool family. But you don't live in the real world. Wasn't that funny? 
Right? We, we, we could never have what you have because we don't homeschool our kids. Our school, our kids are part of, of a public school. Our kids are going this direction. They're in this sport. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're doing all of these things. There's no possible way that this could be a part of our family. And I would just tell you this morning that you can have what God wants you to have if you will pursue God, period. You say, but you don't know. You don't know how messed up our family is. You don't know our dynamics. My husband doesn't even go to church. He doesn't even believe in God. You don't know our situation. I'm trying to keep my 14-year-old out of relationship with boys. Like, you don't have any idea. And I would just reiterate that last statement and listen to it carefully. You can have what God wants you to have if you pursue him. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, Let, let's, let's just take a second, and I'll, I'm, this is myself included, and stop making excuses. I think for, for many of us men, it's, it's probably time that we kind of get off, off of our butts and actually lead in our home. Lead toward a, a Christ centered culture. Lead toward it. You say, well, I don't, I don't even know where to start. Well, it's as, as simple as possible. Can you show that it's a blessing to serve God? Yes. C can you make church a priority? Uh, yes, you can. Can you involve God in your conversations? Yes, you can. I love what Joshua says. He says it very simply in, in Joshua 24, 15. He said, then choose for yourselves. Cho choose for yourself this day. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. It's a choice. You, you, you choose today. You, you choose on this day that we're going to be a Christ-centered home and not just a Christian home in name only. You make the choice this day. Because blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they'll be filled. If you don't feel fulfilled, if you feel your family, your home is anything but blessed, could I just implore you that the solution is to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Let's pray.